0: Yeah, hood life. What, what? Life in the hood is all good for nobody. See me gaming on cheap honeys at y'all party. <laughs> oh, now we've got a cold open. Oh, yes. Oh, you two are having a white off. <laughs>
1: new let's get weird sports podcast it's a very special episode as we discuss drug use and weepy sonata music playing in the background with mascots providing several kilos of fine Colombian powder that's right
0: it's time to get weird
1: how's that for an opening paul
0: We we just need the piano music on a very special episode.
1: (laughs) So we welcome you to the Let's Get Weird Sports Podcast. It's been a while since we've done one of these, but with spring being just around the corner and spring training, pitchers and catchers have reported we are about ready to get some baseball. Even college baseball has started and played two weeks so far. So it is happening. We might even get to... Wait, do they ever allow fans at these games for base, baseball?
0: Baseball? Did you just say that in two words, like the 1890s version?
1: Well, yes. I mean, you know, that was probably the last time that fans actually went to these games and
0: whatnot, right? Yes, I'm, Yes, Smithers, I am really enjoying this so-called iced cream.
1: Well, I, I guess except for Texas. I mean, everything's legal in Texas now, so...
0: add yeah, Florida. I mean... Good God. And then Mississippi, but no one cares about Mississippi, but True. <laughs> but I are, aren't you so happy COVID's gone now?
1: Oh yeah. I mean it's I mean it's free reign right now. I, I just I can't wait to go out and uh, just spend time in restaurants and patch bars. Wait, I didn't do that before COVID because I'm in my forties.
0: <laughs> well, you know what you should feel better. We touch Iowa over here in Illinois and Iowa went Full-blown, no regulations on Super Bowl Sunday, so... Heck yeah. Yeah.
1: So, we well, might as well talking about full-blown. There we go. How's that for a segue? We will be talking about... Dynamite segue! <laughs> we will be talking about the infamous cocaine pirates of the mid-1980s because it was the 80s and, of course, cocaine was involved. And I'm sure we'll have a couple of other uh, contributors on this podcast. I'm sure Otis will chime in eventually. Ventris is fast asleep on my lap, and we wouldn't, we couldn't discuss cocaine without my Colombian wife Liz right here.
0: <laughs> oh man, I'm not going to touch that, so I'll, I'll <laughs> let this segment just go where it goes. So as I said, we
1: are discussing the cocaine pirates, and this is a very very strange story uh what year do you think it would really it really started was it around the early 80s or mid 80s i I think it was it kind of came to a peak in 1985 but I, i think it really started in like 79 80 81 right around the time that the pirates won their last world series which was in 1979
0: Right, 85 is, during the Pittsburgh drug trials. and That's when it came crashing down. Or I believe 86 because Keith Hernandez, because uh, Keith Hernandez, <laughs> um, couldn't mention his name and not do the Seinfeld thing. Keith Hernandez was testifying while a member of the 86 Mets, and he had to miss a game to go to court when they were in the midst of the pennant race. So Keith Hernandez was on back-to-back, World Series winning teams full of coke heads and drug addicts and partiers or just recreational, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we're not here to really judge. We're just here to kind of, I mean, we'll have a few laughs and stuff and make some jokes, but, you know, whatever you want to call it. Like, he was on, you know, that's the Jeff Perlman book, the 86 Mets, the bad guys won. And the 85 Cardinals – their best pitcher, their first baseman in Hernandez, their center fielder, they were all pretty pretty deep in terms of their cocaine addiction. But we start in the late 70s when the Pittsburgh Pirates won the World Series, and their theme song was Sister Sledge, the disco song, We Are Family, because they had a lot of togetherness, and they were, had a lot of unity. And that unity also involved, you know, According to the gentleman involved in the story, you know, these two men who were their main Coke suppliers, they thought maybe 14, 15 guys on the team were using them at that
1: time. Now, we, we have to mention that the main Coke supplier wasn't just anybody. He was the Pittsburgh Pirates mascot, the Pirate Parrot.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what makes the story so phenomenal, is mascots always make you laugh at anything, especially if it's like a mascot getting into a fist fight or a mascot, you know, shaking. If it, You know, you get like a mascot who's kind of misshapen and and he kind of shakes around that's kind of funny or other stuff. But this is a mascot who, according to one of our sources, the Dollop podcast, he had like this little mini Corvette he would race around three river stadium in and apparently he took it out on the street one day and got into some trouble with the law and got away with just a slap on the wrist because he was the mascot. And he, according to all sources was kind of like a player. He was just as popular and he got like a, he got a boys will be boys slap on the wrist and sent on his way because he was the mascot and he had all the trappings. He could, According to the HBO Real Sports segments, he could drink in bed whatever he wanted.
1: <laughs> not, not necessarily a good idea in the early 80s, but who are we to judge? Uh, he was actually a man by the name of Kevin Koch, as it says here on the... Wikipedia page for the impact of the Pittsburgh truck tiles. He was discovered to be high on cocaine during several games as the pirate. And then was the middleman between the drug dealers and introducing the players to cocaine, which that had to be a valuable position in the eighties, pretty much anywhere in entertainment and sports or whatever is the middleman for cocaine.
0: No, absolutely. I mean, Keith Hernandez said that he thought perhaps as much as 40% of Major League Baseball was on yeah. cocaine during what he calls the like glory year of it or the romantic year of baseball and cocaine addiction of 1980. And you know, Kevin Koch was a guy who really lived it up. And I, you heard the podcast, I'm sure there was a story of a woman who actually wanted to have sex with him while he was wearing the parrot head, which is pretty bizarre, but um. He would kind of go and hang out in the clubhouse with these guys and be one. He was like another player or something, and he was the guy who was, I mean, sure, they're Major League Baseball players. They make a ton of money. They can get cocaine wherever they want to and from whomever they want to, really. But at the end of the day, you know, everybody always hires people that are family and friends, and it's all about who you know. So they went to the guy that they knew and trusted.
1: Well, I mean, if you can't trust the mascot of the team, who can you trust? And you know, of, cor- of course, of course, cocaine and baseball would go together. Everything is set up by the white lines.
0: Yeah, there you go. I mean, or basketball. I, I, I gave uh, the book of basketball to my nephews last year as just a gift by the book of basketball, Bill Simmons, and I was thinking about all the stuff in there, and I'm like, well, all right, they're adults. They're they're in college now, but. There's that line about trying to sniff the free throw line. <laughs> Everything we're saying here applied, I guess, to basketball before 1984. I guess the NBA really had issues with this too, but. Well, let's, yeah, not, I mean, let's also
1: not forget uh, yeah. uh, Robbie Fowler with Manchester United snorting the inline after scoring a goal in 1999, which, I mean, I have to give it up for that. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, that is that is creativity. That is that is that is just gorgeous, just sublime.
1: It's the equalizer.
0: <laughs> the equalizer. <laughs> I mean, in 1999. That's what's really funny because it's like you can't say it's too soon because it wasn't. I mean, 1979 is where we're telling the story, but. Um... So, jokes about booger sugar nose candy snow Texas tea sweetener I don't know
1: <laughs> so we also have to mention Dale Schiffman who was he was what a uh, hanger-on if you will that kind of hung out with the team and was around them and a freelance photographer and he was another middleman wasn't he
0: yeah he was he it, the story really revolves around Schiffman and coke and i seriously don't know if i even believe that the proper way to pronounce it is kevin coke because it just seems too easy but that's the way i've heard it you know for given the story that we're telling but um yeah kevin coke and dale shipman were these two friends who and when it all came down to it really took the fall and took the rap for all of it while the players kind of skated now, Schiffman was a guy, um, you know, photography is, is, is one of those fields like art, music, or even journalism these days where it's extremely hit or miss. And um, I'm not sure if his day job was some kind of um, appliance repair, some kind of repairman, I think. But the the moral, well, the point of the story is that he. He had to take to, you know, dealing cocaine because photography wasn't paying the bills and it got him in the in crowd.
1: Well, it's going to get real interesting here for us because I actually found, so we can bring it up to date, I have found Dale Schiffman is on Twitter.
0: Oh my God, yes!
1: And he is at Shiffy Says. And, uh before we get there we discover that he was later incarcerated he was uh arrested and he spent quite a bit of time in the pokey if you will but he is now out of jail and he became a born-again christian once he was in jail it says that he is a not he is a vietnam veteran and unfortunately it looks like he has become a full-on trumper (laughs)
0: Yeah, as soon as you had born-again Christian, I was like, um, so he went from addicted to cocaine to addicted to that, and once you get to, um it's, it's, it's not a, a far leap to QAnon and MAGA and all that other stuff, great stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, th- this is some pretty bad stuff here, so we'll just kind of leave that where it is. <laughs> you have this Vietnam veteran, this freelance photographer and everything else. And it looks like he also wanted to be a baseball player kind of growing up.
0: Yeah. that would, You know, the, I would highly recommend um, our listeners watch the HBO Real Sports with Dale Schiffman. He sat down with them and he was talking about shagging fly balls in right field during batting practice and how it was his dream to make it a baseball? And he didn't, but this was close enough. And it's about how, kevin coke ratted him out and gave him up sent him to prison he was sentenced to 12 years he served two and then many years later he forgave him um he when he found jesus in prison he also found the compassion to forgive the man who sent him away and then the cameras take us to the next meeting after the first meeting in which they've been reunited and forgiven so it's a good watch
1: uh, that, is, that is good, and that's, you know, being able to have that compassion actually is a good thing, and I'm trying to remember what kind of antics were they involved in other than, you know, sex with a mascot while wearing the mascot costume
0: and everything else. Well, I thought it was really interesting that in order to even get to that point, to reach that level, the auditions for the, to be the parrot were like five minutes a piece. Like, I don't know what you really need to do as a parrot to like, how do you have five minutes worth of material? And I mean, it's summer. It's super hot. There's crowds. You're wearing that thing. Apparently Kevin once lost 13 pounds in one day from sweat and he would lose nine pounds a day, kind of on average. And it doesn't help that he was also high. Um to go with that, I mean there's a lot going on it just it was really just partying. it was kind of the the stuff you'd expect from a world championship team during a period in which uh Pittsburgh sports was in its golden era you had the steel curtain defense you had the pirates in their only real modern era phase of dominance and these guys were were right there and there was, there
1: was another critical player in the whole in the whole saga, a pitcher by the name of Bill Scurry, who had made his major league debut April 17, 1980, was a pretty solid reliever for them. Kind of spent some time in, uh, in the bullpen, some time starting and everything else. He was the first player that was directly named in the uh, distribution trial, and... Uh, him and teammates Dale Barra, Lee Lacey, Lee Mazzilli, John Miller, and Dave Parker, and several other notable players were called to the grand jury. So Scurry was kind of the impetus behind the entire trial, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, Scurry was a guy who was really close to Koch and Schiffman. He was kind of the main guy that supplied the rest of the team. And and Dale Barra, yes, that is Yogi Barra's kid. I was going to say, that
1: sounds like it was Yogi, I thought that was Yogi Barra's kid.
0: And, you know, here's normal at the time where I make a smart-ass remark and use, like, a Yogi Berra aphorism or epigram, but we're talking about some serious shit here, so I'll pass on that. Because Scurry is your tragic character here. I mean, you've got a story of Schiffman who um, well, actually, both Schiffman and Coke, you know, today they hold down steady jobs, and um, although we might not agree with all of their beliefs or whatnot, you know, they're productive members of society, but but Scurry was out of baseball a couple of years after the Pittsburgh drug trials. I mean, that was really the Pirates sent him to the Yankees in eighty five. Um, he was out of base he was with the Yankees until eighty six. He was out of baseball in eighty seven, came back with the Mariners in eighty eight, but that didn't last very long. And he passed away at the age of thirty-eight in nineteen ninety two. And it was due to a cocaine-induced heart attack. I mean, for me growing up, I I don't remember even hearing the word or knowing the word cocaine until Len Bias in the 1986 NBA draft. And I remember, you know, Nancy Reagan, Just Say No and Len Bias. And that's kind of, you know, where I saw and first learned as a little child just how dangerous and how scary it can be. <laughs>
1: And we we also have another key player, a guy by the name of Curtis Strong, who I'm reading from azsnakepit.com, the SB Nation Arizona Diamondbacks site, says. Uh, In 1985, Strong was charged with distributing and possessing with a chip to distribute cocaine. He was charged with multiple counts of distributing over four years. He was not a major drug dealer. Through catering work he had performed with the Phillies, Strong had become acquainted with a number of Major League Baseball players. They gave him access to locker rooms used by Major League Baseball teams, thereby enabling him to sell cocaine to several players. His trial became the most publicized trial in the history of the Western District of Pennsylvania. And I think that's another key thing is it wasn't just the Pirates. It was pretty much any major league team that was coming through Pittsburgh, too, it sounds
0: like. Yeah, I mean, we start this podcast with the Pirates, and this is a Cocaine Pirates podcast, but it's really not. I mean, we're really here to kind of tell the story of, you know, it starts in the late 70s with the Pirates, and they were kind of the most high profile, but this goes to the early to mid-80s, and here is something from... That incredible bastion of elite journalism known as BustedCoverage.com. Yep. It is a, here's your all cocaine team batting order of the 1980s. Are are we ready for this? Oh, yes. Let's roll. Um, Leading off is Tim Raines, as expected.
1: I mean, that's the guy that had the crack vial in his pocket, and he had to slide the right way so he wouldn't break said vial.
0: Exactly. I think we're, I think we did a, let's get weird on him. Um, hitting second was, I'll never forget. Cause this is such an interesting, to me, it was a really interesting stat. This guy in 1980, you know, the high point of cocaine use in baseball, he had 230 hits, but his batting average wasn't anything. It was good, but it wasn't exceptional. Cause he had 705 at bats. Um, a man who did time and got busted for cocaine from the AL champion Kansas City Royals, Willie Wilson.
1: Wow, I I don't remember that name.
0: Well, there's a lot of other famous Willie Wilsons. So, um, oh, number three, Pedro Guerrero. I I do remember him. Hitting cleanup, probably the most I probably the most iconic slugger. Link to Cocaine in Daryl Strawberry.
1: Uh, you mean you mean Daryl Strawberry was involved in cocaine with the 86 Mets. Daryl Strawberry and the 86 Mets involved in cocaine.
0: I am shocked. I know, total choir point. Just last guy you'd expect.
1: Ne- next thing oh. you're going to tell me Doc Gooden's career was derailed by nose
0: candy. You know, I'm looking at this list. I don't know if they have a starting rotation. But I would imagine Dwight Gooden is the ace of the staff on the, all, on the cocaine 1980s All-Stars. Um, Joaquin Andujar, remember him? No, I no, no, uh, don't. Not really. I, um, I kind of do, because I remember the 85 Cardinals a lot, and for some reason I had a friend in college who named one of his plants Joaquin Andujar. And why I remember that from college is strange in itself, but... um. Oh, you know, hitting fifth on their team, How, we have not mentioned this guy, but and that's a shame. We really should have. The um, I guess Willie Stargell would probably be the alpha. You gotta have a guy that's driving the, who next in the runs. I mean, so who would you think is the second best player on that team?
1: Oh, on the cocaine all stars? Hmm.
0: No, 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 on the '79 Pirates.
1: Oh, '79 Pirates. Um, Dave, Dave Parker maybe.
0: Yes, that's him. Dave busted coverage as Dave Parker hitting fifth, and Dave Parker is also in that real sports segment. And I think he's right. Dave Parker said that um, the cocaine links cost him his Hall of Fame.
1: Yeah, I mean he's got some great numbers. He had 2,712 hits, 339 home runs, 1,493 RBIs and Batter 290. That is a solid
0: career. That's Hall of very good. That's Hall of... Well, no, I mean, prior to the steroid era, that's... Yeah, I, I would go with that. So then after... Then it goes Keith Hernandez hitting 6th, Dale Barra hitting 7th. 1982 World Series MVP, Daryl Porter hitting 8th. I... I had no idea that Porter was into that. Then and Andrew Hart, um, Paul Molitor. He was, Paul Molitor was using in 1981, according to their sources. That I did not know. Wow. I,
1: Paul Molitor is kind of a shock to me. I didn't realize that he was, he was a, uh, cocaine
0: guy. Yeah. And, um, Daryl Porter died at age 50 in 2002 due to cocaine use. Um, it goes on to say that he also got into pot preludes. He had a $1,000 per week coke habit. Oh, closer, Steve Howe. Yeah, Steve Howe is another tragic story. That yeah, Steve, Steve Howe was
1: crazy. really into the drug. I think he was into the uh, heavier drugs, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you also got to remember like, there's a lot of things going on at this time. You had Greenies, Speed, um, the infamous. Stories about you go you walk into the clubhouse and there's two pots of coffee in the morning for a day game. There's regular and unleaded. And, you know, one's got methamphetamines in it and one of, one of them doesn't. So, I mean, drug use in baseball, it, it's, you know, like, like we had just said that cocaine was rampant across all walks of life in the 1980s. But, but drugs and baseball have gone together for a very, very long time. So I've, I've
1: got some more information here about Schiffman. Uh, this is from an article on Narratively.com, uh, a deep dive on t- about the cocaine kings of the pirates. And uh, basically, Coke says the players mostly scurry and shortstop Dale Barrow began to call him prior to games to ask if he could pick some blow up from Schiffman and bring it down to the ballpark. Shipman purchased the coke from various locals. He then cut the coke, not to increase the weight, but rather to replace the cocaine he was taking out for his personal consumption.
0: (laughs) What did Biggie Smalls tell us? What is notorious B.I.G., the 10 commandment? You never get high off your own supply.
1: (laughs) See, I'm more West Coast. I was Tupac, not Biggie, so I'm going to have to trust you on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, we've got Tupac lyrics in the open. That's what I was saying about oh, life man. in the hood is all good for nobody. <laughs> That's from I Ain't Mad At You. Oh, I love I Ain't Mad At You. Got nothing to love for greatest you. greatest rap album of all time and the greatest rock album of all time were both released in 1996, and they were both double albums. So there I'm Homer Simpson saying rock achieved perfection in 1974 it's a proven scientific fact.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so more on Schiffman here Schiffman says his money his motivation wasn't to make money it was to get his party favors without having to pay for them. He figured he was the only, he was not the only one scoring free Coke but also greatly expanding his social circle now now filled with local sports figures. he could have hardly asked for more. <laughs> typically show I mean, shipment wrapped up a gram or two or sometimes an eight ball then coke swung by and picked up the drugs on his way to work the transactions between coke and the players usually took place deep within the corridors of the stadium such as in the runway outside the clubhouse or sometimes in the parking lot the men never had any run-ins with pirates officials in fact as cocaine use became more prevalent coke even suspected that those in charge had to know what was going
0: on yeah, I would think I would think so. I mean, from what I did for background uh, info for research for this, I saw um, Whitey Herzog, the infamous manager, kind of. A Sparky Anderson was another one who kind of called out his players for this. Lonnie Smith from the Cardinals and also the Royals once was too hyped up on coke to even play. It was he was so strung out that he was just, the Cardinals sent him to the hospital. Um, There were stories I saw about drug deals going on at ballpark bathrooms. I mean, this was definitely not covert by any means.
1: And we're, we're not that far from the era of one of our previous uh, subjects here on the let's get weird sports podcast. This was not long after doc Ellis was a member of the pirates.
0: Yeah, that's right. We talked about a pirate being on LSD, and now we've moved on to pirates being on cocaine. Um, You have to wonder just what kind of... I guess there just wasn't a lot of regulation or people really being aware of it at the time. I, 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 I don't know how to explain it. I mean, I don't know how... Keith Hernandez said during the trial that he was coked up so much that there was one game only one where he played high but he doesn't remember which one
1: well I mean that's that's a lot of games over a lot of years though so I mean I, I go to work high all the time how do I know which one is when and not which ones I wasn't I'm kidding yeah of course I'm yeah kidding. I'm
0: high right now doing this podcast. Yeah, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking here on the narrative page again, and this is just a really good in-depth story about how things were going on behind the scenes. Uh, you also get a guy by the name of Kevin Connolly getting involved. Uh, he was uh, one of the new suppliers for Scurry and Schiffman. And uh, it says, a year after meeting Scurry for the first time, Connolly came to the realization, this shit is everywhere. Going out to clubs or parties with his new Pirates buddies, he saw cocaine use so out in the open, so common, that he looked around and quipped, Hey, it's legal, isn't it? <laughs> this pervasiveness made him feel like he wasn't doing anything wrong by partaking. But now he was going to get in on the real action. By 1983, Garfield's Kent, uh, Garfield being a neighborhood in Pittsburgh... Kevin Connolly was heading to Miami to trade $40,000 for two kilos of cocaine, which if you're going to Miami in the early eighties with $40,000 to buy two kilos of Coke, you have made some decisions, son.
0: Yeah. I was going to say if, when you think about Miami in the early eighties, if you've got that much money, that's probably what you're going there to do. (laughs) I mean, the other day I went on Twitter to look for a GIF and frequently used was the one of a Scarface, of Al Capone. What Al Capone? I Well, no. Al Capone's nickname was Scarface, but but no, that's true actually. But no, Al Pacino and Scarface. It's it's the GIF of um of him like leaning up from his desk where he's you know just in a line and he's totally high. And you know the reason it's frequently used is because I always put it at whatever whenever Don Jr. is trending for something. I usually subtweet it and put that all the time, but then again, that's where I am in life, where that gif is my most frequently used. Um, No, like, this fulfills all the stereotypes. That's, I think, the essence of it right there. I think this guy is talking about how pervasive it was, where it's, I mean, isn't Oregon anything goes now? I believe Oregon went to all drugs are legal.
1: I, I, I think so. But uh, there's more about this, and there's a lot more. I've learned a lot more about drug dealing from this than I had ever wondered. <laughs> had ever well, that's good. Before. You got
0: to – You know, I mean that. You, those are important lessons to learn.
1: So the the deal that he had in Miami was arranged by a, new, a girl he knew from the Pittsburgh area who was dating a supplier in Florida. Which, of course, you know, you know a girl who's dating a cocaine supplier in Florida, and you're living in Pittsburgh. A regular hookup would be submitted. The suppliers taught Connolly the ropes, including how to pack his product for safe airline travel. The cocaine, which came in a large chunk, was placed in a plastic bag. The bag was then placed inside another bag and dipped in mustard. This package was placed into another bag that had coffee grains in it. Connolly explained. so we had three bags going. We just sewed it into my jacket, and I'd walk through the airport. So you walk through the airport in a stuffed jacket, a jacket that's looking lumpy and irregular, smelling of mustard and coffee
0: oh so that's what the mustard and coffee is for because you have two really strong scents you have two overpowering aromas to throw off the scent of any potential drug sniffing dogs that might come
1: oh and, and this also says that he liked the drug sniffing dogs The experience tested Connolly's metal and his heart raced with fear. Oddly enough, he found it to be an enjoyable fear. Transporting drugs gave him a rush he would come to love more than using the drug itself. He always stayed straight for the transactions and the transport, but that didn't stop him from getting high. These deals became Connolly's new source of adrenaline, and physiologically, they took him places cocaine never did. If, for instance, a group of police dogs stood ahead of him, Connolly would not change his course. Instead, he would walk straight towards the dogs, pushing the thrill
0: as far as it would take him. Well, that was good of him to stay straight while doing the deal.
1: (laughs) I mean, if you're dealing cocaine, like you said, never get high on your own supply. You want to be clear-headed.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm with you in that I like West Coast rap better than East Coast, but that Biggie album, Life After Death, is phenomenal, and um, I highly recommend you listen to Ten Crack Commandments after this. And just the, wow, so he went right he went straight towards the police dogs. That is, that's uh, some brass cajones there. That's some um, wow.
1: And it appears this narratively piece is actually from a larger expert or an excerpt from a larger book called The Pittsburgh Cocaine 7, which is an entire book about this. And I may have to pick this up and give it a read uh, because it, it it's just interesting because you don't really see, at least on the surface, fans fraternizing with players like that. But this was the late 70s, and there wasn't that separation and there wasn't that uh, that now invisible line between the fans in the stands and the players, really.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, that's really another moral of the story. A great lesson to take away is that you had, you had the mascot and you had a freelance photographer who were basically members of the squad or an extension, and this is before mm-hmm. handlers, agents, brand managers, having your own Instagram or your own Twitter run by some other intern or whatever. I mean, yeah, you had communications guys, but you didn't have like a, a a kind of media relations department. Like it kind of, like I've heard stories about the 85 bears and how open they were and how the media were, I've heard the same thing about the bulls in the first dynasty years. Like you had, like, that's all, far gone it's um you know i I mean i just i'm describing from the media perspective but it's the same principle with the fans like that now they're they're in their own realm star athletes
1: i mean it's just it's just a shame that we can't go out snort some blow off of a hooker's backside with our favorite baseball players anymore what has happened to america
0: well, that's you. I mean, for me, that's pretty much every Tuesday.
1: <sighs> so on that note, I think we can wind it down.
0: And... I, I'm not sure there's anywhere to go but down after that. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's there's no more we could do with this pod after that moment.
1: Well, I mean, we well, you've got to be able to go out on top, really. So <laughs> on that note, I think we'll be winding things down. And as we talked about, I think... Oh wait, that was the dot. That was the uh, that was the Let's Get Weird we recorded that we're going to have to re-record for later. So you're getting a two. You're getting a two for one tease here. That's right. We will likely be talking about a near live Let's Get Weird with the 2021 NCAA tournament happening practically in my backyard here. Uh, it's it's going to be strange. It's going to have some fans there now. Everything's going to be in one place, and essentially Purdue will be the home team as the only team from the state of Indiana playing in the state of Indiana.
0: Uh, wait, is that right? Yeah. I the mean, only um, team from Indiana? Wow. Uh,
1: unless one of the other schools, like an in Indiana State or IU gets hot, I mean, at this point, IU is probably not a an at-large team. Uh, but yeah I, I mean you're gonna have to have another school win an automatic bid otherwise Purdue is really the only team that's going to make it from Indiana to play here because Butler is way down in the big East Indiana's at 500 they ha- might be able to uh, sneak in as an at-large team but they're probably gonna have to beat purdue on Saturday and win at least two or three big Ten tournament games Notre Dame is under 500 Indiana state the mighty trees have a shot out of uh, out of the Missouri Valley because they finished fourth and they actually are one of the two teams that beat Loyola Chicago. So they got a chance.
0: Yeah, I guess it all kind of, we'll see how it goes during championship week. Um, you'd think that conference could get two with Loyola and, um, drake possibly
1: oh yeah i think Loyola and drake are getting in and they they could possibly get three really if someone steals the audio auto bid like an in indiana state
0: yeah it's just sad that um illinois hasn't been to the tournament since 2013 last year they would have gotten in as probably a seven seed but it's canceled now they're on as we record this they're on the top line they're in line for a one seed and i'm not gonna be able to go cover it and it's also all happening within driving distance for me. Yeah,
1: that that's kind of where I am, too, because, I mean, it I, it's within walking distance <laughs> for me if I really wanted to walk it. Not being able to go or making the, making the choice to go is what I should say, because it's still just a little too close to, you know, I'm trying to have some common sense here as we're waiting for the vaccines to become more available, so... It's I mean, it's a necessary sacrifice. It's a smart sacrifice, but it's a decision I don't have to like, uh, even if I'm, you know, making a grown up adult decision. So I do eventually want to get back to snorting that cocaine off of hookers backsides with my favorite players.
0: And that's why you need to get both doses of the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine in order to be able to do that.
1: Well, I I don't know uh, I don't know which one I'm gonna get yet uh, the Pfizer the Moderna or the Johnson and Johnson I just I want to make sure that I get the extra autism and that the G five chip is working uh, because I need better cell service honestly so
0: yeah I mean thank you Bill Gates for um, well we don't need to say thank you to Bill Gates because you're already controlling us you already know what we're talking about but um, I will say that. Even though we've made you know, we made the decision that we're not going. We honestly might not be missing too much because of that the prospect of of watching basketball from a football press box in a dome to do media zoom calls afterward. I
1: that that doesn't sound I like mean, fun, it, honestly. <laughs> But that that yeah. will be for another time, and we can, we can see what's going on. I know my writer, Jace, uh, we put in to get him into the Big Ten tournament next week, so we might have somebody on staff actually there. It'll be interesting. We'll see if we can kind of record that one pretty close to that. And then the next one that we will likely have after that around the time, your book, your next book.
0: Yes, my next book is set to drop on June 11th in conjunction with the Euro 2020 which is being staged this summer for obvious reasons. And my book is Transatlantic Passage. is about the English Premier League taking off in America. And we're going to discuss the Wimbledon AFC, you know, not to be confused with the tennis, but the Wimbledon Football Club known today as MK Dons, the crazy game. And how you... I die. Yeah, wobbles. Um, How could you not – there's something called the Crazy Gang, and we haven't done a Let's Get Weird on them. I mean, come on.
1: And we're 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 definitely going to have to use the word boinker because we're talking about English soccer.
0: Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to talk about the Equalizer.
1: (laughs) So that's just a preview. And bear in mind, we already recorded this once, so this might actually be somewhat professional by then. So.
0: I have ima- I imagine this is going to be a lot better the second time around. I'm, we're gonna we work the kinks out on that first one because we're going to discuss relegation promotion. We're going to talk about the crazy cup competitions where you've got basically a pub team taking on a giant club funded by some billionaire and the roster payroll is three hundred million or whatnot. It's it'll be jolly good. It'll be right good.
1: Right. Right. So, and yes, also get ready for hilariously bad English accents. So, but for that, yeah, we'll be the uh, waiters for sure. (laughs) But on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap this edition of the let's get weird sports podcast up. So for Paul, for myself, for Otis, who I did hear chime in once for Ventress, who is getting an ear rub and for my wife, Liz, who uh, so gamely contributed to this podcast. We thank you for very patient woman. Oh, yes, of course. And uh, we thank you for listening and look forward to hearing from you again.